of all the sounds you'll hear this summer. This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts... Joe Lanza. Head us out. Go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. Give me a Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Just stop yelling at me. I agree. I am internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist as heard on BBC Radio Worldwide, the king of banter, the most compelling voice in wrestling media today, Joe Lanza, and you are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast. No Rich Krejci this week, just going to be me and you, one-on-one, a little solo adventure with Joe Lanza, just me and you the listener. No three-way action. No three-way action with Krejci this week. He's off at a wedding for the weekend. Don't worry. He didn't quickly get divorced and then elope with someone else. The nurse is fine. Their relationship is fine. This is someone else's wedding. Rich is actually the best man at this wedding this weekend. So he had no time for this lowly podcast. So you're stuck with me. I'm going to do a couple hours of wrestling talk here. Got a lot of topics to get to. Rich is the best man. How about that? Somebody pick that guy for their best man. Think about that. Krejci has to stand there and give a speech. That's going to be rough. You think Krejci has the chops to give a best man speech? I don't know. Maybe, maybe he'd surprise me. I don't know. I think it'd be awkward. I think he'd stumble through it a little bit. You know, whereas with me, I think people would be afraid to allow me to give a best man speech. Because I'm like a loose cannon, you know, you don't know what he's going to say. He's going to, you know, if, if, if I gave the best man speech, it'd be like, you know, like one of those awful romantic comedies where like, you know, the male lead has like a, you know, his best friends, like a, he's like a loose, you never know what he's going to say. And they gotta like, uh, they gotta like pull the mic. They gotta drag the mic from him because he's just making a fool of himself and embarrassing everybody. And they cut the shots of like old people fanning themselves because they can't believe how salacious this speech is. You know what I mean? Like that—that'd be me if I was giving a best man speech. So, uh, I, you know, I don't think Crate will keep it clean. We know Crate will keep it clean. You know, but uh, 
I think he might choke. I think Krejci might get nervous if he's put in a big spot like that. I don't know why. He'll certainly be, you know, he, he talks to more people every week on this show. You know, how many people are going to be at this wedding? I mean, let's face it. This isn't like, uh, you know, Kim Kardashian getting married over here. This is, you know, just some local Joe in Chicago getting married. You know, there can't be more than two, 300 people there, right? How many people go to a wedding? I don't even know. I hate weddings. I can't stand weddings. Weddings are the worst. They really do stink. There's not many places I'd rather be less than a wedding. I mean, but think about it from like a Joe Lanza perspective. I mean, look, look at look at the activities that take place at a wedding. First of all, I don't drink. So right there, most weddings, I mean, the, the draw for a wedding, like the main event, like the reason people come to a wedding is usually for the free booze, right? Like open bar. You want to have an open bar wedding to maximize the number of guests who come to your wedding and then, you know, give you the little give you the envelope because, you know, you're really when you when you invite people to a wedding, it's it's all about, you know, how many envelopes can we get? Right. How, it's like that that balance. It's kind of like promoting a wrestling show. Right. It's like being an indie wrestling promoter is, is what booking a wedding is like. Because it's OK. How do we maximize the number of people we invite? Meaning how much alcohol we have to provide, meaning how many meals we have to serve versus how much we're going to get back with the tribute envelopes, you know? You got to measure that stuff. You got to, you got to, you know, you got to figure that out. You got to sit down with the calculator, figure it out, and maximize your profits. That's how I, it's like an indie promoter, you know? It's like, how many big names can I book for this show versus local yarders who aren't going to cost me anything? And then how much am I going to charge for my tickets and how many people can we draw so I can turn a profit on this thing? It's the same thing with a wedding. You know? And then you do the math and you figure out, you know, oh, wow, I mean, this is a disaster. We can't, we, okay, that's it. We got to start cutting the fourth and fifth string friends and not invite them. We can't invite the second cousins. Aunt Mildred, we were on the fence about her. She can't come now. She was probably only going to give us 20 bucks anyway. We can't invite her. You know, that's, that's, that's how you do it. You know, that's how you, you weigh that. But weddings stink. I mean, I just, you know, I don't drink. So the booze is not a draw for me. I, I, I'm not interested in the alcohol or the open bar. I won't utilize that. Joe Lanza does not dance. I don't dance. I've never danced. You're not getting me on that. Listen, I'm not going to funky chicken, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to get out there an electric slide, okay? I'm not going to take off my coat and, get, and roll up my sleeves and be like Uncle Steve, you know, who's half in the bag because he's been, you know, taking advantage of that open bar. He's got the tie loosened up, right? And he's out there doing the electric slide. No, that's not Joe Lanza. That's not my game. I don't dance. So I don't drink. I'm not out there with Uncle Steve dancing the night away like a goofball. If it's a family wedding, I really don't want to see family. I mean, you forget it. You know, there's a reason I moved to Texas. Like, I, I don't I don't want to see these people like to begin. Well, why, you know, it's like, and then you go to these family weddings and, you know, it's like I feel like I'm constantly being harassed when I'm at these things. 
oh, here comes your cousin Susie. So then cousin Susie comes over, you know. Oh, Joe, I haven't seen you in like eight years. Huh? You never answer my emails. You never call. Yeah, well, you know, take the hint, Susie. I don't want to talk to you. Got nothing to say. I'm not one for the chit-chat. You know, I don't, I don't pick up the phone and call my cousin Susie just to, you know, shoot the shit. I'm a busy man. I got, like, Dragon Gate to watch and, you know, sports ball to follow. I, I can't be making random phone calls to Cousin Susie and Uncle Ed. I just, I don't have time for that. And I'm not interested. They got nothing, they, they've got nothing to say to me I'm interested in. You know, I'm just a log- it's logical to me. So you go to these family weddings, it's just a constant stream of these people harassing me. Wanting a piece of my action. I, you know, it's like, ugh, who needs it? Could be on my couch watching a game or out with a girl or something, you know? It's like, yeah, I don't go to a wedding. It's awful. And you don't know when it, like, when is it appropriate to leave? Like, how long do you have to stay? You know what I mean? Like, like my brother's getting married next month, as a matter of fact. And uh, it's like, that's my brother's wedding. I can't, like, you know, bounce after 15 minutes. I gotta, I, I gotta, I'm in. I gotta be there the whole way, you know, beginning to end, bell to bell, right through the main event. I gotta be one of the last people to leave. It's gonna be torture. It's gonna be rough. But it's like, you know, if you're at your cousin's wedding or like your girlfriend's like family wedding or like, you know, someone who's like, Maybe your wife or your girlfriend's, you know, friend to her wedding, you know, one of her friend's weddings or something. It's like, when can you leave without looking like a dick? I always struggle with that. You know, can you leave before the electric slide? Do you have to stay through the funky chicken? I mean, how does it go? You know, it's, it's, can you slip out when no one's paying attention? I think the rule of thumb is you wait for the bride and the groom to make the rounds, right? They make the rounds, they shake everybody's hands, and then usually they'll leave first if it's like a traditional kind of reception. Once they're gone, you can pretty much get the fuck out of there whenever you want. I'm the kind of guy, I'm just right on their heels, you know? It's like, let's leave right after they leave. Get the fuck out of here. So anyway... Joe Lanza doesn't like weddings. Not a big fan. Um, both times I was engaged, they uh, both of the they they both were were down with just eloping in Las Vegas. Obviously, it never happened. But uh, I'm starting to think maybe it's because they might have heard this rant once or twice, and they figured that was the only way they were getting things done with me. Hmm. A lot of wrestling to get to. A lot of news and notes. We had New Japan Destruction in Kobe, and we had uh, WWE Clash of Champions this week. I don't know if I'm going to review those. If we do, we'll do it on the back end of the show. I don't like reviewing shows when I'm doing a solo show. It's just I need, I need some banter. I need the back and forth. And I, I don't think it's interesting to the listeners either to just hear me rambling on about, you know, seven straight matches. 
So maybe we'll do quick hits on those shows on the back end. But there's a bunch of news and notes I want to get to. It's been a very interesting week news-wise, especially in the last 24 hours or so as I record this on Thursday night. But um, WWE had, a, had some tryouts this week. And man, my phone was just blowing up all week. My phone was just blowing up all, all week. Text messages, people sliding into the DMs. You know, I want to I hit on something here when it comes to these tryouts because I think it all relates. There's been a lot of talk that the indie scene is going to suffer soon because WWE is signing up all the names. And there's sort of this indie crisis where, you know, who, where are the next batch of indie stars coming from? And I've always been one to make the argument that the indies are loaded with talent and the next wave of guys are right there under everybody's nose just waiting to, to, to get an opportunity. And it, it'll take some time to get these new faces over, but they will. I, 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 I strongly believe that the talent is there. I think you can go to any indie show this weekend in the country, in North America, as low level as you can find, even some grimy VFW hall in the middle of Omaha, Nebraska, okay? Um, and there's always at least one or two guys on a show like that where, you know, you'll be thinking to yourself, how is this guy not doing something bigger and better? This guy's tremendous. Or, or this guy has a ton of potential. How's no one booking this dude? So I, you know, so I think the talent's there. I, I'm not concerned about that, like a lot of other people are. I think a bigger problem that's going to be facing the indie scene soon is not the male talent. It's the female talent. Because I think the female side of things is very, very top-heavy. And then very thin once you get past that top layer. And if you don't believe me, take a look at Women of Honor. Women of Honor is atrocious. It's terrible. And that's that next level of female talent that Ring of Honor is using for Women of Honor. And it's bad stuff. They put a match on on their website. This they they put matches up every Wednesday, and the match they put up this week was a was a uh, six man tag. And it was comically bad. It was just bad. You know, a friend of mine sent it to me, and we were talking about it privately, and it was just wow. I mean, you know, people not knowing how to sell appropriately. You had you know awkward mistimed spots. You had one wrestler tagging into the match from the wrong corner. I mean, you can't make some of the stuff up. I mean, and that's what Women of Honor is. It's just a, it's a bunch of terrible wrestlers. The, the, the women's scene is the scene that will suffer, and I'm going to tell you why. I was talking to a promoter friend of mine yesterday who is someone who, who heavily promotes women's wrestling, and he was telling me some of the names that were at the WWF tryout. In fact, the, oh, WWF. I, did I really just say WWF? 
he gave me some of the names that were at this that these tryouts in Florida this week, and um, he would be privy to this because he he actually helped make the uh, tapes for a lot of these girls. So I had a lot of these names um, a couple days ago. They've all broken now. I mean, that picture made its way around the internet on Thursday afternoon of uh, the people that were at the tryouts. So the names are no shocked anybody now. But we were just shooting the shit, and um, he his big concern is he's not even sure that he can book women's matches moving forward after these tryouts. That's how that's how thin the women's scene is. It's not the men's scene that's going to suffer. Because here's the thing. There's you know, it's just math. The pool of male indie wrestlers is just so enormous that just by mathematics alone there's going to be more, you know, prospects and more people who are good who have the ability to move up into the spots that are being vacated that's why I think the men will be fine the pool of women is just incredibly shallow and top heavy at that and all of those people are about to be signed because they're all just tryout I mean you know this promoter said to me directly he said Joe I I I'm thinking about getting rid of my women's title. I, I can't, I've got no one left to book. And he's in contact with a lot of these girls that were at the tryout. Listen, let me tell you something. Most of them are getting signed. You know, they've got that women's tournament, which looks like it's a go. Okay? And, you know, they got spots to fill. I don't know if that's going to be 32 people like the Cruiserweight Classic. I think it'd be a mistake to go 32 deep on a women's tournament. Unless they are going to seriously raid Japan, it would be a huge mistake to go 32 deep because you are really going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel to find 32 competent people to put in that tournament. I mean, it's going to be ugly. Because you're not going to get all of the best people. There's going to be some that they're not interested in for maybe they don't pass physicals, maybe they don't pass... They just don't think um, they have the right look. So there's going to be talented people who get left on the table, who get left off the table, I guess. They're going to take chances on people who who look good aesthetically because let's face it. Sure, they've got Shayna Baszler and some people at this tryout who, you know, don't have the traditional WWE look. Um, But they're still, you know, that stuff still matters. I mean, at the end of the day, WWE is a television product, and the aesthetics do matter. They've put less emphasis on it in recent years, to their credit, but it still matters to some extent, to a large extent, really, let's be honest. So they've got this women's tournament to fill. They've got a, you know, a laundry list of the biggest uh, women's indie names, and none of them are secrets now, so I, I, I can throw them all at you. I mean, look at some of the names that they've got at this tryout. Some of them were pictured in that picture that made the rounds today. Kimberly is there. Heidi Lovelace. Candice LeRae. Nicole Savoy. Jessica James. Sheena Baszler, like I already mentioned. And from what I understand, most, if not all, of these people are getting signed. And if they're not getting signed... They're at least being given additional chances with this women's tournament coming up, similar to like we saw with the Cruiserweight Classic. The point is, all these women's feet are in the door now. 
And that is going to be your big hit on the indie scene. When you, if you remove all of those people from the indie scene, I mean, I've got this promoter is in panic mode. He, he's flat out, you know, he feels like he can't promote women's wrestling anymore. Because the talent just isn't there. And this is a person who's very much behind women's wrestling and has been promoting women's wrestling for years and is a huge proponent of women's wrestling. And he even feels the talent's not there. So you talk to people inside the business, you know, that's the real damage WWE is doing and putting a dent in, the women's side of things. Don't worry about the men. The men are going to be fine. I'm convinced, I'm thoroughly convinced the men are going to be fine. Not concerned at all. Some more NXT news. We've got some dusty classic news today. Six teams announced. Ten more to come. Gargano and Ciampa. Bobby Roode and Ty Dillinger. That's an interesting team. They'll be big favorites with the crowd. The Revival. Cedric Alexander and Andre Cien Almas Sombra Jr., whatever his name is. You know, I call him uh, Cien La Not Over. He just, that's just not working. That's a terrible joke, by the way. Boo! Couldn't think of anything. Should have just pumped the brakes on that one. He'll be teaming with Cedric Alexander. And then we've got uh, Tebow Sabatelli. And uh, he's teaming with the, the Riddick dude. Now, that's interesting because Sabatelli, he's getting his – this is a big chance for him. And, uh, that, you know, they made him part of the – he's teaming with Riddick Moss. And that was one of the first six teams mentioned. So I assume they're going to be one of the teams that gets uh, – you remember last year's Dusty Classic, a lot of the first-round matches were buried on house shows. And they only – showed clips, like handheld, old-school handheld clips. But this is a big opportunity for Tino Sabatelli and Riddick Moss, for that matter. But Tino's a guy who they really like. I have a feeling that team's going to get a little bit of a push in this thing. And then the most interesting team announced today, Hideo Itami and Kota Ibushi. Now, that came out of left field. And we had heard rumblings that Ibushi, even though he didn't sign a deal, you know, maybe his days weren't completely over with WWE. And that came true when we saw this announcement. Atami and Ibushi. That is a very intriguing team. You know they're going to go deep in this thing. Didn't see that one coming at all. And it leaves the door open for them to maybe get something done with Kota Ibushi, which I don't think that they will. I think that he is very content being a freelancer at this point in time. I think he likes coming and going into DDT as he pleases. I think he likes doing these random WWE shots. I don't think he wants to be tied down. He certainly doesn't want to be tied down in the United States. but he'll be doing the Dusty Classic. So good for him, and that should be an interesting team. So a lot going on in WWE developmental this week. With these tryouts. And, I, you know, I didn't really talk about the male side. I think 
the most interesting name on the male side was a name that was floating around for a few weeks, and that was Eddie Kingston. And it's like, what? Eddie Kingston? Yeah, you know, guy's in his 30s. He's never been in great shape. He's not known as a great worker. He's a tremendous promo. But, like, the last guy you think WWE would take a look at. I mean, you know. But he's down there. You know, and someone told me that a few weeks ago, and I was like, that just is not a good fit. And I'm thinking, I'll believe it when I see it. And by all reports, he's there. But, you know, these tryouts, it's, you know, Sue Young was down there. It's just, that's one that I didn't mention before. It's just all, this is, the big story here is the women. You can clearly see them loading up and gearing up for this tournament and restocking the NXT pond with some big-time indie stars like they have been doing with the men. Now they're sort of catching up with the women. And, uh, you know, I just I, I don't think the women scene can afford to lose these people. I really don't. Listen, guys, you don't need to choose between price and quality to get an amazing and affordable shave. DollarShaveClub.com is the answer. To prove how amazing their shave really is right now, they're going to give you the first month free to join the club. That's right. The first month is free. DollarShaveClub.com. First month free. DollarShaveClub.com delivers amazing razors right to your front door for a third of the price of what those greedy, nefarious razor corporations charge. Here is your chance to see why over 3 million members like me, like Joe Lanza, love Dollar Shave Club. And I do love Dollar Shave Club. I go with the executive package because I'm a fancy salary man. Okay? So I get the executive razor. And let me tell you something. Razor, shaving has never, it's always been a chore for me. I've got sensitive skin. I'm a, I'm a dry shave guy. Shaving cream always makes my skin break out. Uh, it, it destroys my face for two days, so I've always been a dry shave guy. I get the executive package with Dollar Shave Club. Let me tell you, it comes with that uh, that shave butter. I tried it the other day. I gave it a shot. Smoothest shave I ever had in my life. No razor bumps, no redness, no irritation, and it doesn't foam. It's just a nice, smooth shave butter, and then it, the, the, the hair comes right off. Best shave I ever had in my life. And I'm someone with sensitive skin who struggles with shaving. And Dollar Shave Club is so confident in the quality of all their products that, like I said, you get the first month of the club for free. All you pay is the shipping. A couple bucks for shipping. That's it. After that, it's a few bucks a month. There's no long-term commitment. You cancel at any time. There's no contract. There's no hidden fees. There's no reason not to do it. Get your free month today at dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. You know, we were talking about the indie scene. And it's funny, something I wanted to talk about last week, but we weren't able to get to it. It's, you know, I spent a lot of time catching up on progress wrestling a couple of weeks ago. 
And I got to tell you, I may not be concerned when it comes to the talent on the indie scene in North America. I think there's plenty of talent on the indie scene. I really do. I really do. I think uh, that next that next set of, uh, of talent is ready to emerge. It's just a matter of these promoters showing some guts and giving some new faces a chance and using the old faces to get those new faces over. It's pro wrestling. It never changes. That's the story. Uh, so I'm not concerned about the depth of talent in North America, no matter who WWE signs on the male side. I'm just not worried about it. I know that the talent's there. But I, I caught up on these progress shows, and what, and, and what it did open my eyes to and what I am concerned about with the North American indie scene is that the European indie scene has not only passed the North American indie scene in terms of... Uh, the quality of the shows, the quality of the talent, the quality of the presentation, the quality of the production. They've not only passed North America, they've left, they've lapped them. They've left them in the dust. The European scene, let me tell you something. A year or two ago, I, I've, I've told this story a million times on this show, but when we were getting the site started, it was right around the time when New Japan was breaking, and I was I was begging Rich. I was like, Rich, we've got to start covering New Japan hardcore on this site. We have to. This thing is about to break. No one else is covering it. We could carve a niche. It's our quickest way to get some attention. Um, Okada won that title at New Beginning. I, I forced Rich to watch it. I said, we got to get on top of this. This Okada is going to be a big deal. And away we go. It's the best thing we ever did. The growth of New Japan coincided with the growth of this site. And it's why we are, we are where we are today. So anyway, a couple of years ago, a year or two ago, maybe a year and a half ago, I, 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 I said to Rich again, I said, Rich, we got to get on top of this European scene and we have to do it right now. Because this is the next, this is the next big thing that no one is covering and no one's paying attention to, but this is the next big thing. So we went out and found people who cover the shows. Now, you know, we, we've got coverage of, you know, Progress, RevPro, OTT. We've got the, uh, you know, the British Roundtable podcast, Rob Reed, and all those guys. And uh, it just hasn't, we haven't made that, you know, we haven't covered it here on this show, which we just, we, we've never seemed to have the time. Um, but, you know, I caught up on progress a couple of weeks ago and, and, and I hadn't watched in a while. I sort of binge watch when it comes to the European stuff. It's just, I can't keep up with everything. You know, I try hard. And, um, you know, I'm watching this and I'm just thinking to myself and I'm enjoying the show. And as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, Europe is so far ahead of North America when it comes to indie wrestling that it, it is no longer even close. These European promotions, and I'm talking about Progress, I'm talking about RevPro, I'm talking about WXW in Germany, I'm talking about, um, you know, the big boys. They're so good at what they do now that they're embarrassing their North American counterparts. It's embarrassing. You know, just put on a, a progress show. Put on Progress 34. 
from the Ritz in Manchester, England. Okay? It's not their greatest show. I liked it. It was a good show from start to finish, but it's not going to, it's not, it's, it's by no means their best show. But pay attention to the little things. The ring, the mat, the ropes, the venue, the lighting, the production, the camera shots. I mean, this is a professional production all the way, and there's money behind it. Everything is clean. Nothing looks like, you know, nothing looks cheap. Everything looks great. The wrestlers. There's, there's, there's no one on these shows. Let me tell you something. There was a guy in the opener. His name is Eistin Reese. He worked the opener. He's a prelim guy. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his first name right. I-E-S-T-Y-N. Eistin. I've seen him a few times. He's, he works everywhere. He works in all these uh, European promotions, but he's always like a prelim guy or a mid-card guy. He's not, he's not a, a push commodity by any means. Although I think he's the PCW champion now. That's a smaller promotion, but, uh, you know, when it comes to the big boys, he's not any kind of top star or anything like that. But I'm watching this opener with this Eistin Reese, and I'm thinking to myself, this guy's working the progress opener, and he is just a, he just, the guy just has a major league look. He's got clean, professional gear. He has a great look. He's in great shape. He's tall. He's fit. And look, he wasn't Mitsuhara Masawa by any means, but he was a competent enough worker. And I did not feel like I was watching indie wrestling when I was watching this man. I did not feel like I was watching indie wrestling by the way that progress presents their product. There's no basketball hoops hanging in the background. There's not, you know, the hard cam is not set up in a terrible spot where it's not even above the top rope. There's not, you know, there's not terrible commentators who don't know what they're doing. Um, although I wasn't, in, I'm not in love with their commentary, but most indie commentary in North America is dreadful. And I'm going to get to that point in a minute. Everything about these progress shows is professional. And this is why they're growing. And this is why Europe is blowing away North America. Too many of these North American indie promotions are willing to book shitty talent. And I'm tired of it. That's number one. And you know what? I'll tell you another thing. I don't care how good someone is in the ring. If they can't afford decent gear, stop booking them on your show. Because let me tell you something. It's bad enough that these North American indie promotions have rings with mats that have tears in them and the mats all taped up and there's no mats at ringside and there's no guard railings and it's just, you know, they book these shitty buildings and they make no effort to make it look professional. The lighting is terrible. The commentators are amateur. You know, they're 23-year-old kids who, who wouldn't know professional broadcasting from, for, you know, and, 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 and they're too busy trying to get themselves over and screaming into the mic. 
which doesn't help. They don't know how to get the, the action over. They don't know how to get the wrestlers over because they, they don't know what they're doing. They're not professionals. The sound levels are off. North American indie wrestling has come almost nowhere since 1998. And I'm talking about the big boys. Forget your little shit dick indies. You know, that's what they are. But your bigger indies, it's embarrassing. Even PWG. Even PWG, when it comes to production, it's like all these promotions... Take some pride in who you book. Take some pride in what your ring looks like. The viewer is going to be staring at that ring for three hours. And I understand these things cost money, but let me tell you something. It's 2016. It's a very competitive market out there. Okay? If you're going to be selling iPay-per-views, if you're going to be streaming your events, if you're going to be selling DVDs and Blu-rays, Okay, just because you're running shows in Chicago, Illinois, or Miami, Florida, or uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you're not just competing with the other promotions in Chicago, Illinois, Miami, Florida, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. If you're selling iPay-per-views and asking people to pay money to watch your stream or to buy your DVDs, you are now competing globally, whether you like it or not. And if you're competing with a pro- with a product like Progress, you need to step up your game to Progress's level because they're blowing you away and you all had a head start. Where was the European scene five years ago? It practically didn't exist. This week, Progress drew 2,400 fans. 2,400 fans! There's indies in North America that are considered big-time indies that won't draw that in their next five shows. And how is Progress doing it? It looks professional. The presentation is professional. The talent is top-notch. The talent is major league. Everything about it is major league. You're asking for you're that's who you're competing with. If I turn on your show, okay, and you're running some dingy high school gym, your lighting's terrible. You've got 130 fans there. They're all spread out. Your talent isn't wearing professional gear. Your commentators are a joke. Your, 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 your mat is all torn up and ripped apart and taped together. You're renting your ring from, you know, the other indie that runs across town. You're all sharing a ring. I could watch that or I could watch a show like Progress. Where do you think I'm going to spend my money? I mean, please, it's not, it's, it's not even a, a second thought. Because let's face it, you know, there's in North America, someone can really jump ahead of the pack if they start presenting a, a professional-looking product. Because they're all using the same talent. They're all using the same 
dozen guys on their shows. And then they mix in whatever local guys they have. Step up your game and jump ahead of these dudes. I suggest you watch a progress show. I suggest you watch a RevPro show from that your call. I mean, that is Major League all the way. It's Major League all the way. They bring in worldwide stars. I look, I look, I get it. It costs money. These things, you know, it's not cheap. I understand, that, you know, the cost issues at hand. But look, this is a worldwide market now. You're competing with all of these groups. And I'm just watching these progress shows, and I'm thinking to myself, it's not even close anymore. Europe is killing North America when it comes to indie wrestling. I turn on these indie, these North American indie shows now, and it's 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 almost no different than what I was watching in 1997 in terms of production and and everything else. Why are we, the North American indie scene should be ashamed of itself for how slow it's progressing, and it's not keeping up with the modern world. It's not keeping up with the. We're all concerned about getting Roku channels and putting on iPay-per-views and streaming our shows, and we're putting a shit product out there for people. How about we worry about the product first, and we invest our money in putting out a professional-looking product, and then we sell it to people? Because I'm warning you right now, you will continue to get your ass kicked by places like Progress if you keep putting out the products you're putting out in North America. And all of your stars are coming out of Europe now. And I saw this coming two years ago. I mean, all, all of these North American promotions are using the European stars to draw, whether it's Zack Sabre Jr. or Will Ospreay or Marty Skrull or whoever else. I mean, that Tommy End. You go right down the line. This is where your stars are coming from. This is all major league talent. And you know, a couple weeks ago when Joey Styles got fired from WWE, we talked on this show, and I was a little surprised at Rich because, um, you know, I, I thought, you know, as soon as he got fired, it, Joey Styles' phone should have been and would have been ringing off the hook by every single indie promotion in North America, all of them. And anyone who could afford him, I felt, would immediately be using him. And Rich was a little skeptical, and I, I, that surprised me a little. It's like, have you heard the commentary on these indie shows? It's terrible. I mean, it's awful. PWG has the worst commentary in professional wrestling. Now, it doesn't matter because people are buying those shows to watch three hours of wall-to-wall, you know, incredible, nonstop, frenetic uh, wrestling. So it doesn't really matter in their case. But, you know, the commentary doesn't get any better in any of these other promotions. It's all ill-prepared 23-year-old kids who don't know what the fuck they're doing, screaming into a mic and trying to get themselves over and shouting out wrestling Twitter catchphrases. That's what indie, indie commentary is now, is now, and it's embarrassing. The only indie commentator I would hire and put on my show is Lenny Leonard. He's the only one. And look, I know this is going to piss people off, but it's, you know, sometimes the truth is hard. You know, it, it's, and, 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 and when Joey Styles got fired, I thought to myself, God, they should be tripping over themselves to, 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 to hire this guy. And that's exactly what happened. Evolve brought him in. Beyond Wrestling brought him in. 
Uh, I think, um, you know, there were a couple other Northeastern. He's only working places he can drive to. Chikara. He's now, you know, on the Chikara. You know, it's a no-brainer. Five minutes after Joey Styles got fired by WWE, he was, he was, the minute he was fired by that company, he was instantly the best indie commentator in North America. In the world, really. I mean, it, it really opened my eyes watching these progress shows, how poor the quality of North American indie wrestling is presented. It, it's the, the presentation, it's awful. And they, they really have to up their game. Stop booking guys who wrestle in t-shirts. I mean, really. Stop booking guys who, who can't invest in decent gear. I mean, take some pride in what you're giving people. Because, you know, as we move forward, the competition's only going to get stiffer. And it is really is worldwide competition. It really is. Look, if you want to be the local indie, that's fine. That's You're playing a different game. But if you're trying to sell iPay-per-views to consumers, if you're trying to sell streaming services to people, okay, you're competing with This Is Progress. You're competing with RevPro's gimmick. This is what you're competing with. And they're blowing you away in presentation, talent, and a major league look and feel. They're blowing you away. Progress just drew 2,400 fans. I mean, you know, New Japan doesn't do 2,400 fans for some of their bigger shows. I mean, are you kidding me? Why do you think they're doing it? How do you think they did it? They're not booking yarders, okay? They're not. They're not booking shitty venues. They're taking some pride in what they're doing. Very impressed with Progress. Very impressed. I watched Progress 34 and I watched Progress 35. Excellent shows. And I mean, it, it's, the production is so good and it's so major league. I mean, I, you know, sometimes I put on these, these North American indie shows and I try to get into them and it doesn't really matter how good the wrestling is when it looks like, you know, I'm watching a VHS tape in 1997 and, and the commentary is so bad that I have to mute the TV. I mean, that, that's, it's a big problem. It doesn't matter if you're booking Chris Hero if that's the rest of the package. You know, and if the guys in your opener are, are you know, have no business being on a, a, a big-time indie show, it, it's a turnoff. You're almost better off not having commentary if your commentary is going to be terrible. Man, that's just the truth. It's a global market now. you got to compete globally. It's, you know, that's, it's, or, or scale it back and be a local indie. That's fine, too. But I'll tell you what, I'm not spending my money on indies that don't take pride in their, in their presentation anymore. I just can't do it. I can't do it. There's too much good stuff out there. 
I have it's we live in a day and age where everything is at our fingertips. I can watch practically any wrestling match that happens in the world within 24 hours. Any big time wrestling match. You know, I'm not I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to watch your indie with with the year 2000 production. I I can't. I have too many quality options now. You know, it's it's this is more of a warning than anything else. I mean, I'm I'm just trying to help. I'll tell you who's getting my money, Progress, RevPro. That's who's getting my money. You know, Progress doesn't make me wait three months for the show either. That's, you know. Gotta talk TNA, right? Bad things happening in TNA. You know, by the time you listen to this, this situation probably will have shaken out. But um, Bound for Glory might not happen. As I record this, and I I was struggling with whether I was going to do this topic or not because, um, like I said, it could be old news by the time you listen. But TNA cannot afford to put on Bound for Glory right now. And Dixie Carter is 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 frantically shopping for uh, a buyer or an, or an investor. She owns seventy percent of the company. Arrow Lux and Billy Corgan are still in the mix. Um, they are owed money. WWE was very close to purchasing the company earlier in the week, which supposedly was just going to be for the tape collection, and they were going to shut things down. In that case, Bound for Glory definitely wasn't happening. And where we stand as we record this is, from what I understand, now some flights have been canceled and some of the matches on the card have rumored to be uh, taken off of Bound for Glory as they attempt to cut costs just to put on the show. Earlier in the week, you weren't a lot of on a lot of cable systems, you weren't able to order the show because TNA was not confident that they could put it on, which is kind of scary. So there's a good chance we're closer than ever to a situation where, you know, TNA Impact Wrestling may cease to exist, depending how things shake out. So they can't afford to do their biggest pay-per-view or the tapings that are supposed to take place early next week. It's, it's a dire situation. So it's, 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 it's not good. You know, they were bringing in Cody Rhodes for this, for Bound for Glory. I, it, it's, I don't know how, it, it's amazing to me how this company brings in big-name talent and pays them, and yet every time it's time to do a television taping, they're on the brink of death because they can't afford to, to, to tape their shows. It just explains a lot in terms of the, of the hole that they continue to dig in terms of debt. Because they're paying these people and just digging a deeper and deeper hole in terms of debt. It's, it's very unhealthy business right now. And, and unless someone saves them at the 11th hour, it may, it may no longer exist. 
the Bound for Glory card, if it does happen, as I scramble through my notes, it's Bobby Lashley defending the title against Ethan Carter III. The Hardys, Matt, Jeff, and Rebby, along with Senior Benjamin and Vanguard One, against Decay in the Great War for the TNA Tag Titles. I have no interest in that crap. I know people are into that. Man, that gets instantly fast-forwarded when I watch Impact. I am so not into that. But good for people if they like it. I think it's garbage. Aaron Rex against Drew Galloway, but Galloway's injured. And that's for the uh, the Grand Championship deal. Those MMA-style matches. But what you know, Galloway may have to be replaced. Maria Canellas versus Gail Kim for the knockout titles. That's been well-built. Mike Bennett versus Moose, which has also been well-built. Look, Impact's been a decent show. Some sort of X-Division match and a Bound for Glory Royal Rumble-style gauntlet with the rest of the roster where the winner gets a title match. And then, of course, the Gail Kim Hall of Fame ceremony, but none of it may, may not happen. And poor Gary Kidney hopped on a plane from Ireland... And he's in Orlando for a show that may not even go down. I feel so bad for the guy. He's the biggest TNA fan in the world. He's the preeminent expert. He, he's the No one on earth knows more about TNA than Garrett Kidney. And he writes the impact reviews for our sites. He'll write the, he wrote a Bound for Glory preview that you can read on the site. He'll write the review if the show ever happens. Because he'll be there. But the thing I really want to talk about, more so than the, 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 the potential death of TNA and the sale, since that's just going to play itself out as you guys get around to listening to this show, is it kind of grosses me out that people are sort of rooting for the death of TNA and hoping that it, that it goes away. And that really annoys me. And actually, I think it's, it's, it's kind of gross. Because I really can't see the argument for rooting for the, for any wrestling promotion to fold and go under. I really can't see that argument. I don't see how that's good for anyone. It's not good for fans because you have less options. It's not good for um, the wrestlers because, you know, however many people TNA has on their roster, between 30 and 40, you know, wrestlers, whatever it is, whatever the number is, that's, you know, that's 30 spots for people to make money in wrestling that just go away, up in flames, gone. Office people, production staff, those people have jobs. Those people are putting food on the table. And look, I get it. TNA is behind on pay sometimes, and you might make, oh, they're not getting paid anyway. Well, I mean, eventually they do when TNA runs into those issues. That's not the, their fault. It beats not getting paid at all. You know, this idea that it's beneficial. I mean, I had people making the argument to me that it would it would be beneficial to the wrestlers if TNA folded because it would give them new, fresh opportunities. I mean, are you serious? Davey Richards, and he just had a baby. Okay. Explain to him how great it is that he gets new and fresh opportunities when he's not getting a paycheck and he has a baby to feed. And now he's got to, you know, 
I know he's hurt, but you get the idea. And but now he's got to you know go scrambling for indie bookings because that steady paycheck isn't coming anymore. You think he's gonna throw a party because his, he 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 loses his job because his company goes under? I mean that's mental. Tell Moose, who just signed a, a $90,000 a year contract with TNA, that he's got, you know, fresh new opportunities coming his way when that contract gets, you know, sent up in flames because the company goes under. You know, where's crazy Steve going to go if TNA folds? What new opportunities is he going to have? He's got a nice little spot in a TV promotion making the best money of his career. He's going to go back to Canada and disappear and probably have to get a real job. I mean, how heartless can, can people be? I mean, I get that a lot of you guys don't like TNA. Then don't fucking watch it. But to root for the company to go under and for people to lose jobs. I mean, what's wrong with you? A shame on you if that's your train of thought. Oh, something will rise from the ashes of TNA. That's how wrestling works. Are you so sure that that'll happen? Are you sure something will rise from the ashes? Where? And who's going to put it on TV? Let me tell you something. Television networks aren't interested in wrestling anymore. Okay? This isn't 1998. You know, this idea that TNA is going to fold and, you know, some great promotion is going to spring up, you know, in the aftermath. Why, you know, where's the evidence that that will occur? Why do you think that that would happen? Where's it going to air? Did you just, did you not see, Jeff Jarrett has had tape, had Global Force tapes for two years and he hasn't been able to sell them to anybody. It's baffling to me that people wouldn't want to see TNA succeed. It's amazing. And forget management. I, I am not defending their management. I don't give a shit about Dixie Carter because it's her fault that the company's in this position to begin with because she's terrible at her job. TNA has been mismanaged. I have no sympathy for the ownership. None. But I have a ton of sympathy for the talent. And for the people who draw their paychecks and put food on the table from TNA. And from that reason, I would love, I want to see the company survive and thrive. That would be great. That minimum survive. There's no upside to TNA folding. None. There's less spots for wrestlers to have full-time work. There's people struggling, you know, that, that lose their jobs. Where, where's the upside? There's less options for fans. Believe it or not, I just talked about Garrett Kidney. He's hardly alone, okay? We make fun of him all the time and we poke fun at the TNA lunatic fringe and all that. But these people enjoy TNA. And they're wrestling fans too. They don't like WWE. They don't like Ring of Honor. They don't like New Japan. They don't like the Indies. They like TNA. More options is a good thing. We all like what we like. It's bad for fans if TNA goes under. 
It's very selfish just because you don't like TNA to root for it to fail. Very selfish. What do you get out of that? You can throw some memes on Twitter and, and make a joke. It's kind of gross if you ask me. People rooting for TNA to fail. It's kind of gross. You know, there's people who, there's wrestlers who chose to work there. WWE is not an option for everyone. Mike Bennett and Maria Kanellis chose to work for TNA. Moose chose to work for TNA. To use them as an example, where would they be had TNA not existed when their Ring of Honor contracts were up? WWE wasn't interested in either one of those men or Maria for different reasons. The reasons are irrelevant, but WWE was not an option for any of those three people. If TNA had not existed, what kind of leverage would they have had when their Ring of Honor contracts were up? They would have had to re-sign with Ring of Honor for whatever Ring of Honor was willing to give them. Guys, that's bad for the wrestlers. More choices, more places to work is good if you care at all about the wrestlers, about the talent that puts their bodies on the line for you to entertain you. You would want TNA to survive. TNA pays very well. I don't know how they do it, but that's not my problem. But they pay very well. There's people who are happy to work there. Aaron Rex chose to sign there. He didn't have to say he had that option. Okay? If TNA folds, Crazy Steve, I, you know, I highly doubt he's winning the Cruiserweight Classic next year. work out for some of these people, but not some of them would just fade away into obscurity forever because there's less there'd be less spots. Look at Pepper Parks and you know forgive me, I can't remember his TNA name. Uh, Braxton Sutter, I believe. Braxton let's look at Braxton Sutter, for example. The former Pepper Parks. Here's a guy who was an indie wrestler for years. WWE, if they were interested in him, they they Believe me, he would have been signed a long time ago. If Ring of Honor was interested in, in, in Pepper Parks, he would have been working there a long time ago. Okay? If it wasn't for TNA, he wouldn't have a job in wrestling today. He'd be slumming it up on the indie scene like he was before. How is, not, how is TNA existing not a good thing for the talent? And if they go under, what's he going to do? He's going to go back to slumming it up on his local indie scene. Good for him. He got himself a nice job, wrestling job on TV with a major league promotion. That's great. You don't feel bad for those people? I know I I would feel horrible for everybody who loses their job. Have some empathy. I mean, because look around. I mean, there's people rooting for this company to go under. Like, it's a big joke. You don't have to feel bad for Dixie Carter. Fuck Dixie Carter. I don't feel bad for her either. She's done some terrible things. 
And she's been a bad business person. And bad business people deserve to go out of business. They really do. So this isn't about Dixie Carter. This is about everybody else. So stop that. Stop rooting for TNA to go under. It's, it's, it's classless. It's, it's kind of gross. It's icky. And the idea that people will just have better opportunities, ugh, stop it. Explain that to Davy Richards when he loses a, an enormous you know, weekly paycheck, an enormous part of his income. I mean, really. We're going to take a break, and then we'll come back, and we'll do a little bit of New Japan, and uh, we'll do a little bit of WWE, too. We'll be right back. All right, we're back with part two of the show. We're going to go over uh, the WWE Clash of Champions Raw brand pay-per-view that occurred this past Sunday. We're also going to talk a little bit about New Japan. But before we get into that, I quickly wanted to uh, make a note. Two weeks ago, this podcast did uh, record numbers. It did 60%, about a little bit less than six. It it broke our previous record by about 60% over what the previous record was in total downloads and total listens. It did such an enormous number that um, we thought it was a mistake. I mean, we really did. We thought there was some sort of error. We thought Audio Boom, you know, our, our, our evil overlords at, at Audio Boom had, had made a mistake in the calculations or maybe it was, you know, counting the downloads twice or we didn't know what the hell was going on. Maybe, um, you know, somebody linked the show on, on Reddit or something, but it just, you know, we just chalked it up to maybe it was a fluke. It was very confusing. Uh, then last week's show, after an enormously successful record week, um, at last week's show then topped that show by several thousand downloads. So then we broke the record again, uh, you, you know, several thousand times over. So I don't know what's going on, uh, but, you know, Audio Boom tells us the numbers are accurate and... Um, we've done nothing different. We've done nothing unusual. We don't think the show is being linked anywhere with, without our knowledge. So I just wanted to quickly say, you know, the show has, it just continues to grow. I mean, we've, we've, we've been on a, you know, a steady incline since, since day one, but all of a sudden it's just, um, been enormously successful and, and the downloads have been through the roof. And I just want to thank everybody. I mean, it's just, um, just overwhelming. I mean, there's an overwhelming number of people who listen to this every week, and it's actually, it's 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 very humbling. I mean, it's it's just crazy. I, I don't I don't know. It's I don't, I don't know. You guys really love the show, so I just want to thank everybody, and um, you know, really good things are happening, and uh, with the site, with this show, and all the other shows too. Um, Shake them ropes had a record week two or three weeks ago, and have maintained. Um, you know, the hat-eating episode uh, was their record week, and, and they've also seen a jump in the number of their downloads. Uh, the Brit Wrestling Show, uh, the Lucha of the Hidden Temple, Chris Novembrino, all these shows do very well. And, and and they all grow, and they've all been growing. So, um, and that's, you know, 
that's you guys are listening. So um, I just want to thank everybody, and and we're really on the brink of of some really cool things happening around here. I mean, it's just it because it just keeps growing. So um, you know, we appreciate everything. And again, um, you know, it's just you know we do. We don't ask you. Never gonna ask you guys for a dollar. I mean, it's just not gonna be our thing. You know, it's um, you're never gonna see a Patreon uh, gimmick here, or um, you know, we're not gonna ask for donations. We're just we're doing things the, the old-fashioned hard way. We are just trying to build a business from the ground up, and 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 we want the sponsors to pay for this show, not you guys. So and 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 thanks, you know, to you guys listening every week and and being loyal and enjoying what we're doing and and visiting the website and visiting the forums and visiting our sponsors and you know trying the dollar shave club gimmick and you know taking lift rides and buying Casper mattresses and buying Mac Weldon underwear all that stuff helps um you know using the Amazon link all those things um you know but it, it's it's we want those guys to pay for this and 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 you know we, we feel that's the best way it's a slower way to do things um it, you know it's i'm not saying those other methods that the way other websites or the way other podcasts do things are wrong whatever works best for them works for them um we just choose here to do it the old school way and build something from the ground up and, you know, it's just we're really close to some really amazing things happening. And I just wanted to let you guys know that um, we appreciate every single listen and uh, every little piece of support that you guys give us. It never goes unnoticed. And um, I just want to thank everybody. So uh, that's enough of that. That's enough of sensitive Joe. Uh, no more of that because I've been very grumpy this whole show. I mean, that first half of the show, I listened back on my little break there. I got myself a little Coke Zero, okay? I watched the end of my Reds game. Put on, uh, you know, the end of the Dolphins-Bengals game. Flipped around, caught up on some baseball, and I listened to the first half of the show. Because, you know, in case I needed to make any edits or if everything had come through. Man, that, let me tell you, that was a grumpy first half of the show. I mean, I, I first of all, I buried every indie promotion in the country. <laughs> so I know I'm going to get shit for that. Uh, then I buried everybody who hates TNA. Um, you know, I buried basically, uh, you know, the female indie scene. I, I mean, I buried everybody. I did, did no, no burial was left unturned. So, um, I've, you know, maybe it's appropriate that we start the second half with one of my favorite targets of burials. Let's, uh, let's talk a little Roman Reigns. Let's talk a little Roman Reigns because Clash of Champions went down this past weekend. And I got to tell you, it's it was a show that, uh, I, you know, I didn't watch it live. But I watched a lot of people really beat the shit out of that show as it was happening on Twitter. And when I watched the show, I think I enjoyed it more than, more than a lot of people did live. Um... You know, it got terrible live reviews, and a lot of the reviews I read weren't positive. Our review killed it. Um, I thought the wrestling on the show was okay. I really did. I thought the wrestling was good, but the show did come off a little bit lifeless, especially compared to the SmackDown Backlash show the week before, where it felt like everyone was 
super motivated and, and into what they were doing and out to prove something. And, and, you know, SmackDown, it feels like everybody's just so alive. And Raw feels like the complete opposite. It's a functional show. The wrestling is technically fine. These matches were all fine, but it felt like nothing had life on this show. It felt like everything was lifeless. And um, I think that's a problem on Raw. And I think maybe it's because for the same reasons that a lot of people have enjoyed SmackDown more than Raw since the brand split for the most part, you know, SmackDown feels different, right? It, 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 it feels, it doesn't have, like, this past week, SmackDown, no sign of the authority figures whatsoever. No Shane McMahon, no Daniel Bryan. What a departure from everything that WWE television has been for the last thousand years. Uh, they've got the talking, talking smack gimmick that comes on after SmackDown Live, which is tremendous television every week. SmackDown just feels different. And maybe that trickles down to the wrestlers who know that they're doing something fresh and something different and something exciting and they're motivated. Whereas Raw is the same old, same old. It, you know, completely revolves around Mick Foley and Stephanie McMahon. And now Triple H. As they've worked him back into the fold like we knew they would. And, you know, it's... The wrestlers are out there working hard, but they're just, there's no soul. Raw has no soul. It really doesn't. But you know what Raw does? And the other thing that Raw still has is Roman Reigns pushed as the top guy. And you're probably thinking, wait a minute, Joe. Kevin Owens is the champion. Roman Reigns is the United States. He's the, he holds the secondary title. And, and, and he failed a wellness test. And damn it, he's being punished, Joe. He's, he's been moved down the card. What do you mean he's the top star? Let me tell you something. Not only is Roman Reigns the top star of Raw and being pushed as such, which I'm going to prove to you, he's the top babyface in the company. He's being pushed harder than any babyface in this company. Now, no one gets pushed harder than, than the McMahon family. Okay, make no mistake. The hardest pushed people in this company are Stephanie McMahon and Triple H. But the hardest pushed babyface in this company is Roman Reigns. Either show. And the idea that he got punished after coming off the wellness was is an absolute joke. And it just doesn't hold any truth. I mean, let, let, just look at the way this man has been booked since the wellness violation. He came back, and on the split raw, he won his four-way and then lost a hard-fought main event to Finn Balor. And if you recall, Finn Balor went on to win the Universal title off of the back of that match. But then Finn Balor went down with the shoulder injury. Since then, since that point in time, Roman Reigns has wrestled Rusev Four times on television or on pay-per-views. And Roman Reigns has defeated Rusev three times in those four matches. And in the fourth, the match, the bell never rang and the match never happened. But Roman Reigns basically just kicked the shit out of him. They have 
buried Rusev with Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns beat him on Raw uh, on August 15th. He beat him for the title of Clash of Champions. And then, I'm sorry, the fourth match, actually, he didn't beat him. It was a double count out. The double count out that just happened on Raw. But, I mean, it, you know, he's been put over Rusev. He won his title. He beats him left and right. And really, aside from the four-way when Owens won the title, Roman Reigns never loses anymore. He beat Chris Jericho on Raw the week before that match. He beat Kevin Owen. He beat the champion on Monday Night Raw in that steel cage match two weeks ago. Roman Reigns beats everybody. He beats Rusev like a drum. He beats the fucking champion. On free TV. Roman Reigns is the hardest push babyface in this country. They will not give up on this guy. And he still goes out there and gets booed by 70% of the audience. But they're not going to give up. They had their opportunity with the wellness thing to, to pump the brakes a little on this guy, and they chose not to. We all knew this would happen. There's people out there who pretend that this company is not full steam ahead with this guy and that they haven't been for three years. I mean, these people are delusional. You know what these you know what it is? These people who claim that Roman Reigns isn't the hardest-pushed person in this company, hardest-pushed babyface, at least, in this company. The people who claim that, this is what it is. They're, they, they like Roman Reigns. They're Roman Reigns fans, and they need justification for the fact that Roman Reigns cannot get over. Can we just call it like it is now, after three years or whatever the hell it's been? Can we just call it like it is and be honest? People who claim Roman Reigns isn't the hardest-pushed babyface in this company, and that it hasn't been full steam ahead with Roman Reigns, are just looking for an excuse as to why this man cannot get over. So they blame the booking. When the reality is, and when all the facts show that he's been pushed harder than any other babyface in the company. Especially in the last two months. I mean, he never loses. The guy never loses. And, you know, they think that putting him in there with Rusev, and, and it's really hurting Rusev because these Roman Reigns-Rusev matches are not good. And it, it's, it's because Rusev has completely changed his working style for these matches, probably at the directive of the agents and Vince McMahon, because the style of these matches are total 1980s house show matches where it's just long heel heat, and I mean long. These matches are never-ending. I mean, the match on Raw was over 25 minutes this week. And it wasn't good. It was boring. The match at Clash of Champions was 17 minutes and 8 seconds. And it was the it was the worst match on the show. It was boring. Total bore fest. Because, I mean, Rusev's using side headlocks in the match. He's using bear hugs, for God's sake. These matches are Rusev controlling... 80% of the match. That match at Clash Champions. Rusev controlled the entire match 
And then after the Lana spot, where they kick Lana out, Reigns breaks the accolade and then hits a spear and gets the pin, out of basically out of nowhere. He didn't even run through all of his spots in in this case, you know, with the with the Superman punch and the apron kick. No, he just he broke out. He just broke the accolade and speared him. How many times has this man broke the accolade now? He broke the accolade on TV before SummerSlam. Remember when they gave away the SummerSlam match the week before? And he broke the accolade on free TV and won that match before SummerSlam. Now, I know in this company, everybody kicks out of finishers and all that, but the accolade was one move that they had kept strong. And look, I'm not saying that, you know, the accolade is now Ric Flair's figure four. I mean, because, you know, once Rusev gets the hell away from this, from this virus that is Roman Reigns, this is terrible for Rusev right now. Once he gets away from Roman Reigns, they can have him slap that accolade on, on guys and, and get that move back over. But, you know... That's a move that that was treated like serious death for a long time. So it's not. Listen, it's not a mistake that they have Roman Reigns breaking this hold left and right. They are trying so hard to make you to get Roman Reigns over. That's why he's breaking the accolade in all these matches. That's why he's dominating Rusev, who's been built as an unstoppable force and a killer. That's why these matches have the psychology that they have with Rusev with these in, interminably long beatdown segments that are boring as shit that kill these shows dead so that Roman the, the, the superhero can come back in the end and, and overcome the long beating it's the Hulk Hogan formula and as we've discussed a million times on this show Roman Reigns is no Hulk Hogan Roman Reigns is Randy Orton but they're going to keep trying Bless their little hearts with this Roman Reigns, I'll tell you. And it's like, he's not even having good, like, it, there was, for a while there, he was, at least he was having good matches, but it, it, this Rusev feud, they've, the way that they've, you know, laid out these matches, I mean, Reigns isn't even having good matches anymore, so what good is he? You got this guy getting shoved down people's throats who's getting booed by 70% of the audience, he's not even delivering good matches anymore. They really need to end this, just... Look, we get it. You're pushing Roman. You know, we're, we're trying again. Okay, we know you're going to do it until the end of time. But can we please get the Rusev feud over with? Because Rusev's pretty great, and I'm tired of him slumming it up with Roman Reigns. I really am. And being a sacrificial lamb for Roman Reigns. I would much rather see Rusev do something interesting. This is not interesting. And it's a shame. It's just, you know, this wake of bodies being left in the wake of, the, of these Roman Reigns pushes. It destroyed Dean Ambrose forever. And now they're on a course to potentially destroy Rusev forever. Who else are we going to destroy in the wake of the failed Roman Reigns push? Who else? Kevin Owens? How many more times can Roman Reigns be... Well, he, how about we just have him be Kevin Owens on TV every week now, too? Why not? I mean, they've done enough damage to Kevin Owens making him a paper champion. Totally out of character. You know, they have Kevin Owens doing things that are totally out of character for what made Kevin Owens interesting. Kevin Owens isn't interesting anymore. He's 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 the opposite of interesting. How dry was that Kevin Owens Seth Rollins match at Clash of Champions? I mean, could anyone possibly care who won that match? Or give a shit about that match? Which again was a perfectly competent match, but what it was impossible to care about it. Why? 
We're all waiting for the run-ins. We're all waiting for the interference. We're waiting to see if Triple H shows up. We're waiting to see if uh, Stephanie shows her face, which she eventually did. Um, You know, we're waiting for Chris Jericho to come out, who eventually did. How can anyone care? It's a 25-minute match, and we're all staring at the watch, saying, all right, well, None of nothing that occurs in this match matters until the last five minutes of this pay-per-view when all of the run-ins occur. That's exactly how it played out. They've somehow managed to make us not give a shit about Kevin Owens. And ironically, the way that they did that was making him the champion. Think about that. He was better off in the upper mid-card. Where he can, you know, his character, where he can be himself and get over the way that he was getting over. Kevin Owens was actually building up some babyface momentum as a heel. And I've said for years on this show, the best way to make a mega babyface is for a, a, a mega heel to start getting over as a baby, and then you turn them. It's the best way to do it. It's the best way to do it. Kevin Owens was the money babyface that they needed and they've been looking for right under their fucking nose. And they blew it by putting the title on him. That's how screwed up Raw is. You put the title on people and then you, you, you kill them. Look at Randy Orton. Look at Sheamus. Look at Rollins and his terrible title run. And now Kevin Owens. You put the title on these people and it kills them because they get wrapped up in McMahon madness where they're second fiddle. And Kevin Owens is a second fiddle act now to Stephanie McMahon and soon to be Triple H. And we hoped he, he would find a way to make it work because he's so beyond, he's so uber talented that we were hoping he would find a way to make the paper champion role work, but he has not been able to. Even Kevin Owens cannot overcome that role. And J.R. Goldberg said it best. He writes features for our site, and he said it on Twitter. And I'm going to paraphrase him because I can't find the tweet. But this company, when it comes to Raw, it's like, you don't, you can't have, once you get to the top of the card on Raw, you don't, you're not allowed to have your own personality. It's just, they try to squeeze every character into the same heel champion archetype. And, and that's what they do over and over and over and over and over. Kevin Owens is no different than, than, than Seth Rollins or Randy Orton or Sheamus when they were in this role. Same character delusional guy who thinks he's the top guy but he's too stupid to realize that he's just a paper champion and that is so not what Kevin Owens needs to be man did they blow that moment they could have turned Kevin Owens babyface at the end of that four-way and they could have had who knows the next insert name here I don't want to go crazy but he would have been a red hot babyface right now that was the moment man But same old, same old. That that Finn Balor shoulder injury was like it, it, that was a true butterfly effect theory playing out right in front of our eyes. You know, Raw would have been a completely different deal because they were going full steam ahead with Finn Balor, babyface champion. And I don't know if it would have worked, but man, at least they were trying something different, and they were trying someone new, and they were getting behind a baby face that wasn't Roman Reigns. Which they haven't done in three years. 
Balor gets hurt. They go right back to the same old, same old story with the paper heel champ, with the heel paper champion. And Roman Reigns is the number one babyface. Again, there's been like, there was like three weeks in the last three years where Roman Reigns was truly not the top, but the hardest push babyface in this company. And that's when Finn Balor got called up, to, got drafted to Raw, and won the title three weeks later on at, at the uh, at the SummerSlam. Then he got hurt, and it's full steam ahead with, with Roman Reigns again. And like, you know, the thing about it is, I'm not even confident they probably would have went right back to Roman Reigns anyway if Balor stayed healthy in some form or fashion. Let's face it. But I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But, I mean, he got hurt, and now here we are. And 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 the, the bad part, I mean, this was a well-worked uh, professional wrestling show, Clash Champion, but who can get into it? It's lifeless. It, it was just lifeless. And we know we're not getting anything fresh or new. It's the same old shit. And speaking of same old shit, New Day defeated the club. Six-minute match. Probably the best club match since they've come to WWE. Everyone worked their asses off here. But this feud, I mean, you know, it's funny because Biggie's uh, finisher is called the big ending. But this feud never fucking ends because then they face each other on Raw the next night. I mean, enough is enough with this feud. TJ Perkins and Brian Kendrick. Um, I like this match better than a lot of people did. It got terrible. I was I was expecting the worst because people were just burying this thing um, live. But I, I tell you, I, I thought they did a nice job. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it wasn't a great match or anything like that. It was, I thought it was a very good match though. Um, but as predicted and as played out the next night on Raw as well, I mean, TJ Perkins is just not over. You know, fans chanting CM Punk and fans chanting Randy Savage and booing and chanting boring during his match with Tony Nese. And I mean, you know, that's this company reaping what they sow. I mean, they did, it's, it's, they threw him on the pay-per-view cold and then they threw him on raw cold and you know, this is what they get. And I feel bad for TJ Perkins. It's not his fault. Uh, he's out there working hard and trying his best. Uh, they've given him barely any promo time. Half of the promo time they've given him has been on WWE.com, and they don't even feel like it was worthy enough to to uh, to be on Raw itself. Um, I think they're slowly doing a little bit better with the cruiserweights. They at least gave them a couple of matches on Raw this week, and um, you know they've they've been showing the uh, personality profiles, uh, you know, and, and things of that. But I, it might be too late. It might be too late. I didn't like a lot of the crowd reactions. It just goes to show. I mean, these people are not watching Cruiserweight Classic on the network. I mean, you listen, they're watching the pay-per-views. They're watching Holy Foley. You see the top 10 every week in the Observer. You see it. You know, they're not, they're not, it's, it's, and you know, Dave Meltzer made the point in the Observer this week that even the NXT, you know, is coming in lower than it usually does in the top 10. I think it was ninth last week, the NXT episode. You know, behind a bunch of different JBL interviews and original... Pro- Look, me and Rich told you this from the start. It's original programming that was always going to drive the network, not wrestling. So I think, you know, they know that... It, so what's disappointing is they know the numbers. They know that people weren't... Ton- you know, that, they, that, 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 you know, Cruiserweight Classic, 
you know, it wasn't drawing these big numbers. But then they still expect people to know who these cruiserweights are when they get to the main roster. It's the mistake they've made over and over with, with the NXT talent. They need to get it through their heads. You know, wrestlers who get over on the network, it means nothing when they get to the main roster. These casual fans aren't paying attention to NXT or wrestling on the network. They just aren't. No matter how hot the crowds are for NXT, those are the people listening to this show right now, the hardcores. That's, that's, that's all it is. But Perkins won and Kendrick delivered the headbutt. Look, I, I just personally think it was the wrong direction to do the Kendrick feud first because the Kendrick feud is more of a... They, they really... Perkins' first feud should have been with someone who was dynamic, go out there, do a bunch of flippy do's, have exciting fast-paced matches, get the cruiserweight concept over with action. If you're not gonna, if you, if you're not gonna get the personalities over, get it over with action. Then you could have moved into something more subtle like this Brian Kendrick feud. I think that was a mistake. Too late now. The Sheamus no contest with Cesaro in the best of seven. Now a lot of people were very angry at this finish. Look, I would have preferred to see a finish too. It looks like they're going in a direction to making these guys a tag team. I mean, this is just crazy. You do these seven matches, um, you know, five, one of which nobody saw because it was a house show, five of which were just, eh, you know, nothing special. Matches that no one will remember or ever watch again. I mean, can you imagine going back and watching those five matches again? I mean, why? I mean, it would feel like a chore, right? They weren't great matches. They weren't bad, but they were nothing you'd ever want to see again. The only match out of the seven that was that was worth, you know, giving a rewatch or that, you know, was memorable was the seventh match. This was an excellent match. It's the best match on this show. Even with the non-finish. I get the idea behind it. Um, I just, I don't know. It was executed well, but I'm not sure that's if that's how you want to end the I The story they're telling is these guys are so evenly matched. But here's the problem with that. Sheamus jumped out to a 3-0 lead. So he kind of looks like a geek for then losing three matches in a row. So I, if you wanted to show that they were evenly matched all the way, why didn't they alternate wins? Wouldn't that have been a little better to alternate wins? I don't know. Chris Jericho beats Sami Zayn. This match did nothing for me. It was just a match. Again, lifeless. Lifeless was the theme of this pay-per-view. Charlotte beats Sasha Banks and Bailey in a three-way. And, you know, it, it seems like there's a lot of rumors circulating that the next big uh, star in the women's division is, in fact, going to be Dana Brooke. Not Bailey. Not Sasha Banks. Um, I think, look, I think Sasha Banks is overrated anyway. I've railed on her on this show a million times. Um, it, it's, you know, Bailey though, I don't think, man, I, I really feel like they're on the brink of, it's, it's almost going to be now or never to push her before they, they kind of like blow it with her. And I, I just, I, I don't know the people that matter just don't see it in her, I guess, which is, it's baffling. It's a shame. Dana Brooke, if it was the NXT Dana Brooke, 
know, that one had potential. The Dana Brooke on the main roster might, may as well be a completely different person than the Dana Brooke that was in NXT. And it's not just the costume chains, and it's not just the whatever that plastic surgery was that she got. It's just she's presented in a completely different way. In NXT, she was cocky. In NXT, um, uh, she 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 was she was brash. Um, she you know now she's uh, subservient to Charlotte. Um, the cockiness isn't there, and that's what really. She's a great natural heel, and we haven't even we haven't seen that on the main roster. And it doesn't help that her ring gear is atrocious. I mean, she she's you know she looks like Joyce Grable in 1969 with that ring gear. I mean, it's terrible ring gear. You know, you, you, you know, it looks like she's ready to lock up with Mildred Burke. Uh, you know, it's, it's, that's not helping. I mean, her gear, she had a great look in NXT. A great look. Her look stinks. They're not playing to her strengths. But this is the person they may go all the way with. Hard to be excited about Raw, really is. Roman Reigns and Rusev, I talked about that match. I thought it was boring as fuck. Just lame, boring psychology. I, I talked about it already. And the main event I talked about, too, the Kevin Owens-Seth Rollins match. I mean, you know, 25 minutes when, you know, it was really only the last three minutes that mattered. Stephanie comes out with the second referee, and Owens hits the pop-up powerbomb and wins. And then Stephanie, you know, the footage of her hopping in the limo with Triple H. And, eh, you know, who cares? How can you care? How can you care? I mean, when it comes to Raw, I just, I do not care about the Universal title or anything at the top of the card. It's impossible to give a shit. I'm much more interested in watching the Roman Reigns push fail again. That's, it's much more interesting to me. It's fascinating how hard they will push this man. And, and, and it's fascinating to continually watch him not catch on with fans. That's Clash of Champions. I'll be honest with you. I think Rich would have went harder on it if he would have been here this week. New Japan, Destruction, and Kobe. Wrapping up the three Destruction shows. Um, the big story here, and really the only match of, of, of uh, major consequence, was um, Tetsuya Naito winning the Intercontinental title from Mike Elgin, which pretty much the entire planet expected to happen. I shouldn't say it was the only match of consequence, but it was clearly uh, the only match. You know, th- this was the match that uh, you know, if the show if the show drew well, it was going to be because of this match. If the show drew poorly, it was going to be because of this match. The show drew mediocre. The show drew mediocre. I didn't expect it to be. You know, it, it's look. It didn't have a lot of support underneath. Look, they split this show three ways. If you would have stacked, I mean, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but if you would have put all the top matches from all of these three shows on one show, it would have filled this building. But instead, they decided to spread it out, and they got very mixed results. Very mixed results on the three Destruction shows. From a business standpoint. But the important thing here 
is building up the new stars this year. That's the important thing for New Japan. Look, they're having their most successful financial year under Kadani yet. Thanks in part, large part um, that he revealed in an interview earlier this week to massive, massive merchandise sales. They're killing it with the merchandise. They're a little down uh, with attendance. Some shows are a little up. Some are flat. And some of them are a little down. And overall, they're a little down. Um, but the merchandise is killing it. And the big thing this year is building... Is a key, this is a key year in building new stars. And, they, you know, they've gotten pretty decent results with some of these guys. And, you know, we'll, we'll see. It's too early to tell, though, with any of them, with the exception of Naito. Naito's a bon- bona fide superstar at this point. He's a top guy. He's one of their top three guys. It's Naito, it's Okada, and it's Tanahashi. That's the new three. And what they've done here is created a situation where they have three guys and the fans are all picking sides. And I think it's smart. I think it creates a buzz. I think it's healthy. You have the younger fans who are all behind Naito and his counterculture, anti-authority gimmick. You have the Okada fans who like his cockiness and his brashness and, you know, the the young star the company's been built around. And you have uh, Tanahashi who's still calling himself, you know, he, he loses the symbolic match to Okada and Okada becomes the ace. So now you have Tanahashi calling himself the ace of the universe. And they're, you know, they're marketing that with t-shirts and everything else. And so they sort of have this three-headed animal. And I, and I think it's smart. I think it's smart. And it's good. It's healthy. And, you know, some fans say, well, you know, Okada's just not working. I mean, they're, they're telling you that Tanahashi's still the... Look, that's part of the work, guys. From a kayfabe perspective... Why would Tanahashi just roll over for this guy? He's got professional pride. From a, I'm talking from a kayfabe perspective, you know, from just character-wise. Tanahashi is like, no, I'm the ace of the universe, man. Yeah, you know, I'm still the guy. And from Naito's point of view, from a kayfabe perspective, he's playing up his character as the rebellious, you know, this rebellious character, this anti-authority character, raging against the Okada machine. It's all being. It's all. It's it's all good stuff. It's healthy. It's healthy how they've how they position these three guys, and just let the fans cheer who they want. It's working out well. So Naito, they have established. The Los Ingobernables merchandise is the top selling merchandise. I mean, you could check the top ten on the New Japan website at any time. It dominates the top ten. And it's those next level of guys, the Mike Elgins, um, you know, Evil, Kushida, Osprey. These are the next level of guys that they have to, you know, prepare for that. You know, and I think long term, Sonata. Um, I'm not sure if he's technically freelance. That was a good question that someone asked me earlier this week, but I think Sonata has, you know, babyface superstar written all over him. You know, down the line, down the line. Because the next guys in line are your Shibatas and your Elgins and people like that. Kenny Omega, who I didn't even mention. I mean, you know, he's going to main event the Tokyo Dome or co-main event it. 
whichever direction they go with that. So it's a key year in elevating the next, you know, they've done Naito's there. Kenny Omega's getting there. Shibata is getting there. And some of these pushes will work. Some of them won't. Uh, you know. And it's just, you know, it's only been nine months since, you know, Nakamura and AJ left. So, aside from Naito, nothing has really, you know. And Omega, I mean, in Tokyo at least. They have to establish Omega everywhere else. Very popular in Tokyo, but not really so much anywhere else. So this show, I'll run through it quickly. So there was a lot of tags and things of that nature. Tiger Mask, Reisuke, Taguchi, and Hanare defeat Willow Spray, Rocky Romero, and Beretta. Now this is significant because last week on this show, I brought this up to Rich, and, and he kind of blew it off. And I brought it up to people on Twitter, and they blew it off. And I brought it up to people on our message board, and it kind of got blown off. But I knew they were up to something with Rocky Romero. He lost again. And this time... He lost, and he took the pin, and he lost to a team that had a young boy on it. When does that ever happen? Hanare, Hanare side one. Tiger Mask, Taguchi, and Hanare beat Willow Spray and Rapongi Vice. And Rocky took the pin, and they finally did the angle. Beretta was angry with Romero because Romero keeps losing. And with Willow Spray trying to play Peacekeeper. So something's going on there with Rapongi Vice. I think they might be splitting them up. And I complained last week that Rapongi lost to uh, the Gorillas of Destiny. But it appears there was a method to that madness beyond just pushing God. Because it looks like they're going to split up Rapongi Vice. With this Rocky losing streak gimmick. It was very peculiar. That Rocky Romero was taking all of the pinfalls for Rapongi Vice, being the senior member of the team. That's just not how New Japan does things. I knew I smelled a rat. Why doesn't anybody ever listen to me? I mean, really, why does no one ever... I'm always right. No one ever listens to me. The only time anybody ever listens to me is when I'm wrong. And then Reddit gets on my case and post threads to tell me how wrong I am. But no one ever listens to me. I'm right 99.9% of the time. Joe Lanza's right. But no one and no one ever listens to me. But they'll get on my case on Reddit over, you know, Cody Rhodes or whatever. So something was up there. Beretta was scoring all the pins. Romero was taking all of the losses. That's just not how New Japan does things. So Something's up with that. Maybe Rocky Romero's bringing back the Black Tiger deal since they're going to. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let me get through the rest of this show. Chase Owens and Yujiro beat Captain New Japan and Yoshitatsu. Technically, this was a match. Captain New Japan finally turned on Yoshitatsu. Who was talking some shit on the mic once he got the thing turned on. Because Yoshitatsu couldn't figure out how to turn the mic on, which was funny. Guy can't do anything right. And Captain New Japan had enough of his shit and he attacked him from behind. Leaving him laying for the easy pinfall for the Chase Owens Yujiro team. Which is such a sleazy team. I love that team. Captain New Japan has joined Bullet Club as we speculated on the last few weeks. 
and he's now known as Bone Soldier. I'm excited for this Bone Soldier, let me tell you. And there's going to be a Bone Soldier versus Yoshitatsu feud and singles match. It's not on King of Pro Wrestling. I forget where they scheduled it. There is a singles match scheduled. I, I can't remember where it is yet. I might be on that. Uh, I, I don't remember. But uh, but they're going to feud moving forward. I like a nice prelim feud. Look, give these guys something to do. You get better work out of people too when they can sink their teeth into something. That's always been a theory of mine. These are human beings with real emotions. If, if they feel like they're not involved in something that matters, they're going to phone it in. They're going to mail it. It's human nature. You put these two guys in a feud, you're going to get maybe some good work out of them. Togi Makabe and Tomoaki Hanma, Great Bash Heel, defeat Hiroshi Tenzan and Teruaki Kanemitsu. Kanemitsu, of course, is a young lion, so that finish was to be expected. Kanemitsu was grumpy when he lost, too. Hanma tried to help him up, and Kanemitsu, you know, shoved him away. I, I love when those young lions show fire. I really do. Red Dragon defeated Nagata and Nakanishi. So a junior team beats a heavyweight team. O'Reilly is the next challenger for Shibata. Matt Seidel did not show up for this show. He was not allowed into the country. He flew back to Hawaii. He's claiming everything's all chill. Everything's all good. I hear different. I hear different. I hear he was turned away at the border because he tried to, uh, well, you put you, you read between the lines. That's what I hear. Anyway, that's the rumor. So we'll see what New Japan does from there. I mean, if, if, if he was kicked out of the country, he's never, you know, you're not going to see him back in New Japan for a long time. They're going to have to tear up his contract. And it looks like New Japan's going to move on without him because uh, this was a uh, never openweight six-man title match. And Kojima Ricochet and David Finley, the newly elevated David Finley, it's been a long time coming, in a bit of an upset. They beat the Young Bucks and Adam Cole to become the new old champions. Really, Finley is just in Seidel's spot. But technically, this was, you know, to determine new champions. And it was funny because Seidel still has his ti- his physical title belt. So poor Kojima standing there after the match with no belt. Because, you know, Ricochet and Finley had the two belts. And only, they, you know, they only had two title belts. The third title belt is in Hawaii with Seidel. And it looks like Kojima might, you know, challenge Cole for the Ring of Honor title. Which will probably be a better match than the Kojima lethal match from a month ago. And Ricochet and Finley challenged the Bucks for the junior tag titles. So good for Finley. You know, Seidel screws up. And it opens up an opportunity for David Finley. And he's an excellent worker and, I, and I'm happy for him. I don't know if the tag team with Ricochet is going to be a good fit. Ricochet and Seidel were a great tag team. I'm not sure Ricochet and David Finley are going to have the proper chemistry. But it, it's this is a, you know, David Finley is a champion in New Japan right now. That's great. That's great news for him. He's a good guy. 
he's been good to us whenever we've asked him for help or had questions for him. He's been very friendly uh, to us at the, at the website. And uh, he's a good worker. He's not a good worker. He's a great worker. He really is a great wrestler. And it's good to see him elevated. And it's good to see New Japan finally doing something with him. You know, it felt like he was really left behind when they sent away the other guys for their excursions. And, you know, this is good to see. I'm really happy about this. And I, 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 I'm eager to see if he can take advantage of it. I don't know if being in a tag team at Ricochet is going to be long-term. I think they might just... I wouldn't be shocked if they lose to the Bucks and then they have Ricochet just do his own thing and Finley do his own thing. We'll see, though. Kenny Omega, Bad Luck Fale, Tamatanga, and Tangaroa. Or Loa, whatever the hell his name is. Defeat Ishii, Goto, Mark, and Jay Briscoe. This was a setup for Gorillas of Destiny and their title challenge of the Briscoes. That's all this was. Mark Briscoe took the pin. Sonata, Evil Mbushi, defeated Tanahashi, Kushida, and Juice Robinson. Juice Robinson was there to take the fall, and he did. Sonata tapped him out with the Dragon Sleeper. Hot little six-man. It wasn't bad. This whole show was okay. Because even the bad matches had, you know, like, you know, the Captain New Japan stuff or the opener. They did angles, so it was interesting. This is why, to me, again, I go back to this. It's important to do things in your prelims to keep people interested instead of just throwing random matches out there. Okada, Yoshihashi, Gato, and Jado defeated uh, Marafuji, Toru Yano, Daisuke Harada, and Atsushi Kotoge. New Japan versus Noah. Really just setting up a bunch of title matches that are coming up. Of course, Okada is defending against Marafuji at King of Pro Wrestling in Sumo Hall. And Gato and Jado are challenging for the Noah GHC Junior Tag Titles held by Harada and Kotoge. Later on, next month in Noah. And Okada and Yoshihashi are facing uh, Marafuji and Yano in, Sum- in uh, I'm sorry, in Korokin Hall next week as a, a prelude to the Okada-Marafuji match. That's technically a Noah show. Okada's working a Noah show in Korokin Hall. That tag match there. So that's what this eight-man tag was sort of to set all of that up. And this one, it was uh, the New Japan side coming out ahead. And Yoshihashi, important to note, Yoshihashi scored the pin in that match. After losing to Omega, if you notice, they've kept Yoshihashi strong by giving him... a. They could have easily had Okada score the pin over one of the juniors here. They didn't go in that direction. They had Yoshihashi score the pin over Harada, which was interesting. So keeping Yoshi strong after his loss to Omega. They sort of rehabbed them a bit there. And then the main event was Naito and Elgin... Lots of Los Ngobber, no blaze craziness in this one. Uh, but, you know, it, it's either this or the uh, Never Six Man were the best match. The Never Six Man was an excellent match. And one thing I should note that I forgot to note about that because I got wrapped up talking about Matt Seidel and David Finley. The best worker in that match was Satoshi Kojima, and he was 20 years older. Like, everyone else in that match was like half his age, and he was the best worker in that match. I thought that was worth noting. He was awesome in that match. Kojima always works hard. He really does. And he always looks like he's having a great time. 
That's why he's one of my favorite wrestlers ever. He's just a guy who always works hard. I appreciate people who work hard for my dollar as a fan. If I'm going to give you my time and I'm going to give you my money and you work hard for me, I appreciate that. Kojima's been an underrated wrestler for many years and a great wrestler, and he always works hard, and he always looks like he's having a great time. He always has a shit-eating grin on his face. I love the guy. He has a dog named Jushin Thunder Cookie. He's a great follow on Twitter. A great follow on Twitter. He talks about his dog Jushin Thunder Cookie. Posts pictures of the dog. He talks about ice cream. It's always happy thoughts. Love Kojima. But that was a great match. And the main event, I mean, you know, there was just enough shenanigans to where it added to the story, but not so much where it was a where it took away from the match. And Naito's the Intercontinental Champion. And that of course sets up the King of Pro Wrestling show, the big sumo hall show. Of course, headlined by Okada defending against Marafuji. According to the Observer, tickets are selling very well for that show. Which, again, like I said, New Japan, some shows are a little up, some shows are a little down, some shows are flat. It's It's been a mixed bag this year, but they're, they're holding on very well considering the losses. So it looks like this show, at least the early... In the early going, this will be on the 10th of October, so they've got, eh, I don't know, about 12 days. According to the Observer, it's just some upper-level balcony seats and a few of the uh, front-row seats that haven't sold yet. So those front-row seats are obviously going to sell. It's going to be close to a sellout. It's either going to be a sellout or very close to one. We're either going to get the the Super No Vacancy or the uh, Super No Vacancy Full House. It's going to be one or the other. So... Okada Marafuji has, uh, looks like it's going to pop a house. And of course, Goto vs. Omega for the for the case is the semi-main event. And that's Kenny Omega in Tokyo. This is what I'm talking about. That's a strong semi-main event. And as you can see, it's a strong support match for the main event. Because it's Kenny Omega in Tokyo. I'm sure that has contributed a bit as well. Third from the top, we've got Shibata defending the Never title against Kyle O'Reilly. Fourth from the top, we've got a eight-man tag. Tanahashi, Elgin, Kushida, and Jay Lethal against Los Ngabra Nobles, all four members. Now, this is going to be confusing to New Japan fans because Jay Lethal was part of Los Ngabra Nobles the last time he was in Japan. And the breakup angle was done on Ring of Honor television, which does not air in Japan. So the Japanese fans don't know that Naito and Evil walked out on Jay Lethal in Ring of Honor. So he's just going to show up on Tanahashi's team at King of Pro Wrestling. Bad continuity here. We've praised New Japan and Ring of Honor for having good continuity the last couple of weeks, merging storylines, things of that nature. They did a bad job here because the fans aren't going to know what's going on. Maybe they'll, you know, I haven't seen the VTR videos yet or anything like that. Yeah, you know, so maybe I'll cut them a break until those come out. But I feel like that's going to confuse the fans. 
The Briscoes defend the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team title. Well, no, I'm sorry. They're not the Heavyweight Tag Team title. They're called the IWGP Tag Team titles. Now that junior teams are in the mix. And uh, they defend against uh, Gorillas of Destiny. And unfortunately, it looks like Gorillas of Destiny are going to win. Could be an emergency move because the Briscoes aren't working the World Tag League Tour, which we've speculated on last week. Um, you know, the company probably feels like if the if the Briscoes can't work that tour, then they then they need to change the titles. I, I think that's disappointing. I don't see why the Briscoes need to work that tour. Um, even if they're not, even you know, even if if they're still champions. I mean, it's okay. Look, Kenny Omega didn't work best of the Super Juniors a couple years ago as champion. But, you know, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, I uh, we'll see what happens. I'm not going to complain about something that hasn't happened yet, but it sure looks like Gorillas of Destiny are going to win, which is disappointing. Young Bucks defend the junior tag team titles against David Finley and Ricochet. We talked about that a bit. Uh, you know, I would like, we'll probably do a deeper preview of this show next week, but I would like to see the Young Bucks retain there. I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about the Finley Ricochet team, and they're already the six man champions. They don't need, you know, all the belts. Here's what we've been waiting for some more New Japan Noah, New Japan, you know, third gen versus Noah action with that, you know, that great heated match from G1. Here's the follow up Nakanishi, Nagata, Kojima, and Tenzan take on, you know, the same foursome we saw at the G1 final, Masa Kitamiya, Katsuhiko Nakajima, Maybach, Tanaguchi, and Go Shiozaki. I would expect Go Shiozaki to, to, to pin one of these dudes, probably Nakanishi, as he heads towards his eventual singles match with Shibata. Bobby Fish, Reusuke Taguchi, Tomo Akihanma, and Togi Makabe against Beretta, Rocky Romero, Jado and Toru Yano. So Toru Yano, who actually went against the Chaos uh, teammates at Destruction in Kobe, which had some people speculating since he was on the Noah team, since he's one half of the tag chance, but he's right back with his uh, Chaos team members here, taking on four random members of the New Japan Army. Th- the thing to look for here is more Beretta-Romero friction. And then the opener is Willow Spray, Yoshihashi, and Tomohiro Ishii against the Bullet Club team of Yujiro Takahashi, Bad Luck Fale, and Adam Cole. Ring of Honor champion Adam Cole. Um, no Chase Owens for King of Pro Wrestling. Wouldn't really read into that. He's, uh, you know, a part-time Bullet Club guy. Just doesn't happen to be around for this show. Um, and then they're doing something in, on the pre-show with Tiger Mask against some sort of new Red Mask uh, gimmick to put over the comic book. I don't know if this Red Mask deal is going to be a permanent character. We don't know who's under that mask. We don't know what's going on with that. Uh, but it has something to do with the new Tiger Mask cartoon that's coming out. So we'll see what they do with that opener. Maybe it's a new character. That would be cool. I would have no problem with that. So that's your King of Pro Wrestling show that New Japan has uh, coming off of the destruction events. They've got some other cards here. They've got New Japan Road on the 8th of October, which they kind of snuck in there a couple days before King of Pro Wrestling. And um, 
that'll be our first interactions between Bone Soldier and Yoshitatsu. They're on opposite ends of a six-man match on that show. That shows nothing but six- and eight-man tags. There is a never-open-weight six-man title match on that New Japan Road show, though. Finley, Ricochet, and Kojima defend against Beretta, Rocky Romero, and Will Ospreay in the semi-main event. What's weird about that is Ospreay, Romero, and Beretta just lost to a team that had a young lion on it, and here they are getting a title shot. So that's a bad job by New Japan. I mean, look, I've learned to overlook that stuff in North America. You know, guys losing and then getting title shots. I don't like to see that in New Japan, where things are generally done in a logical manner. That bothers me. Why would that team get a title shot? They just lost to a team with Hanare on it. You know, that bothers me. I don't like that. It's a bad job. But I have a feeling that, you know, again, they won't do any kind of breakup angle there at Rapongi Vice because they're teaming again two days later. But, you know, again, look for friction. Look for the friction. Everything else on that New Japan Roadshow is basically, you know, a six-man tag. With the main event being the Los, you know, the four Los Ingobber Noblesse members, all four of them, against Lethal Kushida, Elgin, and Tanahashi which I believe is the exact same match that they're doing at King of Pro Wrestling. Yeah. So they're doing that match twice in two days. The main event of New Japan Road, and then, you know, as a mid-card match at King of Pro Wrestling. So if you like those Los Ingobber Nobles uh, eight-man tags, you're going to get a healthy dose next week, two days, uh, two days apart. I don't even know if New Japan Road's airing on New Japan World. I don't I don't know the answer to that. And then five days after uh, King of Pro Wrestling, they have the uh, Taiwan show, which again is just a bunch of tags. But that's the show that has the first Yoshitatsu Bone Soldier singles match. It's in Taiwan. The rest is just tags. Interesting, Rapongi Vice is, is uh, working that show as a tag team. So I guess they're not going to do a breakup at King of Pro Wrestling because they're working as a team five days later in the opener against Hanare and David Finley. So whatever they're doing with Beretta and Rocky Romero, it's going to be uh, spread out a bit. And before we wrap things up, let me just check for you guys real quick to see if New Japan World is showing either of those shows. I don't think they are, from what I recall. But, you know, they tend to add things late sometimes, so who knows. All right, let's see. Probably could have.